All right, guys, welcome to today's episode of the Nomadic Outdoorsman podcast. It's going to be an amazing show, so please stick around for it. On the show today, I've got two great buddies of mine. These guys are people that I've spent more time in the field with than just about anybody else. Um, their names are Sean Lashinsky and Tony Khalil, and we're going to be recapping a specific hunt that happened back in 2018. Um, Sean drew a Colorado bull moose tag, and so if you know anything about the Colorado draw system, there's a couple tags that you will only get one time in your life, and that's whether or not you have the success as far as harvesting the animal um, or not. If you don't, if you don't shoot anything, if you don't get anything, it doesn't matter. That's the only time you will ever be able to hunt that species, that um, that gender in that state. And so, uh, he was able to get that bull moose tag. We went on a hunt in early October of that year. Before that, our friend Tony Khalil came out and he helped us scout for these moose in July of that year. It was actually over my birthday weekend which it is going to be one of the greatest birthdays I will ever have in my life. We went out and found where these animals were. We we basically hunted them with a camera and binoculars hard for a couple days, and we had a lot of success, a lot of good stories. It was a ton of fun. And um, so, yeah, we're just going to share those adventures, um, how it all went down, recapping the hunt itself, recapping the, the scouting trip, and I hope you get a lot out of it because these are two guys who, I'm telling you, they are stone-cold killers. Like, when they go out in the woods, um, they just have a way of making things happen. They get it done. They have a lot of success in both the forms of bringing home meat as well as uh, the stories that they walk away with. And so I hope you guys dive in, buckle up, listen up. It's going to be an awesome show, and you're going to get a lot out of it. So here we go. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, so online with me now is two great friends of mine, Sean Lashinsky and Tony Khalil, and these guys are some of the best dudes I know. Um, Tony and I have been hunting together a long time in the Springfield, Missouri area and beyond. And then Sean and I, we met a couple of years back when we moved out to Colorado for a couple of years. And um, he kind of took me under his wing, taught me how or what Western big game hunting was all about. And so um, today we're going to be going over a moose hunt that happened back in 2018 when Sean drew a Colorado bull moose tag. But first, um, why don't we do this? Uh, Sean, why don't you kind of introduce yourself, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. I know it's a new podcast and uh, people don't really know who you are yet. Um, grew up in Colorado. I was born in Nebraska and lived here since I was three. Got uh, lucky and born into a family that enjoyed hunting and my uh, dad and brother really uh, showed me the ropes. Kind of got me interested at a young age and took me out for uh, a lot of years. Uh, I got lucky and they figured out how to, uh, beat the, uh, point system here in Colorado and, uh, build preference points. So I, uh, learned from them and they got me in young and that supported my habit. Got me, uh, where I needed to be to get lucky enough to draw a blue stag. A lot of people wait their whole lives for it. 
yeah, being being lucky enough to draw a moose tag and then now drawing an elk te- or a mountain goat tag, which we'll go over in a couple episodes. Um, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, they uh, showed me the ropes young, and uh, Dad liked the Cabela's point, so he made sure I got put in every year. That's perfect. It's it's tough going when you move out there late in life, but you were there early enough and had had a dad who understood the system, so that's pretty cool. And then Tony, Tony and I are talking about doing a Colorado elk hunt together next year, but Tony and I have been hunting for a long, long time together. He's a great buddy of mine. Uh, Tony, uh, we'll kick it over to you and same thing to you, kind of explain a little bit about who you are, what you do, and um, yeah, your involvement in the hunting world. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, um, I'm Tony Khalil. I'm originally from Mississippi, um, the great state down in the south where the, uh, most of the land is pretty flat, unlike Colorado. Um, however, uh, I still love to hunt. Grew up hunting on uh, our own private acreage there in Mississippi. We had around three, 400 acres, and we hunted white cell and uh, lots of duck and turkey hunting and squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting. Just grew up literally in the outdoors on that, on that, side, of Missi- that side of the Mississippi. Uh, then I moved up to Missouri, where I met Dan. And uh, we became really fast friends when it came to like camping and things of that nature. And then we integrated uh, hunting into our, our friendship. And man, it's just been been incredible. Um, I uh, also, I'm a videographer editor by trade. And I've worked for uh, several large companies here in the States in the outdoor industry, including like Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's, uh, doing anywhere from TV shows, product line videos, um, anything to do with commercials, things of that nature. Uh, so I've gotten to follow around a lot of great hunters out there, um, anywhere from uh, Canada, Colorado, uh, Alaska, to, uh, Washington area, California, as well as a lot of fishing stuff as well. So um, I spent a lot of time on the water filming TV shows for uh, basically filming all the the uh, biggest and best names when it comes to uh, pro fishing as well. Uh, but anyways, I am... I love being a fly on the wall, but I also love getting my hands dirty uh, when it comes to coming and hunting and learning new things. And so whenever uh, Dan had mentioned to me about getting it to come out uh, with Sean and that he had actually drew a Colorado uh, bull moose tag, a shower moose, I was, I could not pass up the opportunity. And my wife was actually pregnant with our first child. And I think she was already seven and a half months. So I was like, I'm going. And she said, that's okay. And so I packed my bags and flew to Colorado and uh, it's been a pretty incredible trip. Yeah, we had a great time getting out there in July and we're going to go over details of that here in a second. Um, But Sean, I know I got the call um, early in the year in 2018 that you had drawn your bull moose tag, but go, go through kind of what your emotions were during that time when you had put in, you were excited, obviously every Colorado hunter, anybody putting in and applying and trying to draw the tag gets really excited, hoping that their name is one of the very few um, that gets drawn each year, but you were lucky enough to get picked. So go through the emotions that you felt and kind of what your reaction was. I'd done my research before that and I knew that there was something like 9,000 applicants applying for 300 tags. So I already knew the chances were slim, but like I said, my dad and my brother got me in young and I had built 18 years worth of points, which was the most anybody could have at the time. 
So I had as good a chance as anybody on the drawing the tag. And I've always just applied for preference points and couldn't really afford it, couldn't afford the time off. Didn't uh, exactly know what unit I wanted to go to or anything, but I grew up hunting a unit in Colorado where they actually released the original um, herd that was their spawn for the reintroduction efforts in the 70s. So uh, I, not knowing anywhere else to go, I just said, man, I'm not really hoping to draw one this year, but let me, I got to start putting in sooner or later. So I put in for what I figured was probably the hardest tag to get. And our applications are due in April and the drawing is actually middle of June. I think it was June 7th when I found out that I drawn. And I just so happened to be at work uh, taking a CPR class. And we had a little five minute break. And when I had five minutes, I knew that they were doing the drawing that day. So I said, oh, I gotta check and just see what it says. And when I saw that I'd drawn it, I was definitely glad I was in CPR class at that moment. I thought I was having a heart attack and got the chills and everything. And it, it screwed up my plans for the weekend because the wife and I were supposed to go on a nice camping trip and she had a place picked out. And I called her at that minute and broke her heart and said, we're definitely not going there. And she said, what do you mean? I just want to go fishing and sit by the lake. And I said, yeah, well, no, we're going to scout a moose. And so I was in the doghouse all weekend long, but it was still a good weekend. And uh, her and I got up there when we found a field. Uh, but yeah, it was very overwhelming to finally draw it. I've waited and waited and dreamed of that hunt my whole life, having been in the unit, seeing moose when I was 12 or 14 and elk hunting in that area. Just the chance to fun finally one day be able to chase them with a rifle was pretty exciting for me. That's awesome. Yeah. As soon as I found out that you had drawn, I, I knew I was going to have to be there. Um, if you'd have me and you told me it was a two week deal. So I put in my time off right off the bat. I pretty soon after that called Tony and told him about it and said, Hey, what are the odds that you could come out here and, and give us a hand with this. And, uh, we planned that scouting trip pretty quick. We planned a trip for the middle of July. Um, it happened to be over my birthday. And um, that's kind of how I got away with getting out there for it. Um, that was a little birthday present to myself. And Tony came out and we got after it pretty quick. I mean, we set up a couple tents, but didn't spend much time at camp. We were hitting the trails almost all day, every day while we were up there. And so, uh, Tony, I know you've done a lot of a lot of hunting and fishing videos. Uh, do you get to go out on scouting missions very often uh, with clients for doing video um, or even just personal? I know if you're a hunting and fishing videographer, I'm sure that time of year has to be pretty busy. And so there's not as much time as uh, to do personal stuff. Basically the easy, the easy answer is no. Um, it's one of those with the industry in general, they really focus more on the hunt or products that line up with the hunt, uh, things of that nature. So for me getting to have the experience to really do the real work of hunting, I'll be completely honest with you. It's, you know, whether it's whitetail or hunting for elk or duck, I mean, anybody that really 
does that, they know they've got to put the time into scouting. They've got to put time into trail cams. They've got to put time into uh, putting miles underneath their boots and really figuring out the best they can, you know, what patterns these animals are having. So you put on top of that, a bull shower moose out of Colorado and the opportunity, um, you know, I, I couldn't pass it up, but honestly, um, I was really surprised by how few we found for a very long time. And then once we figured out, once Sean kind of dialed in kind of what he thought might've worked, which um, those kind of patterns that I was talking about, it was pretty impressive what we got to see. And I don't think that's all the time. You know, I don't think those type of scouting opportunities are really probably that great all the time, but we were lucky. We were so lucky. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, once we, once we saw that first one, it seemed like it was kind of nonstop action after that. I think we ended up finding something along the lines of 23 over a two and a half day period. And so we had it kind of dialed in at that point. I know Colorado had put out some um, kill charts and maps of where moose had been taken and antler measurements and all kinds of stuff. And so, uh, Sean and I looked those over multiple times uh, for the drainages that were around where we were going to be hunting. And yeah, we got into them that weekend. And then um, that kind of led us into the hunt. We, we knew pretty well where we were going to spend our time right off the bat uh, when it, when it came to going out and hunting. So Sean, you knew before I did, obviously, because you put in for that unit that it was going to be a great spot to go. Um, were you expecting that same type of result when we went out moose scouting to see that many in that short of time? I knew it was a very target-rich environment as far as just the number of moose in the area. But middle of the summer when everything's full, foliage and everything and all the trees are blooming, they're pretty tough to find. They're a lot easier to find when there's a little bit of snow on the ground or you know, later in the fall when the trees are losing their leaves. But the way I like to look at these scouting trips is right out of the gate, look for my access points in the unit and try to find out where I can get back into what I would consider moose country, um, places that I expect to find them. But also to to find that trail that's kind of the, the path less traveled for everybody else. and where you stand a better chance of finding them and not being on a main road somewhere. So that I think that's kind of why we were slow out of the gate to find them was just driving around and looking at a lot of those access points, seeing what we can find and, and where we uh, can get back in there and get away from the crowds. It's a very popular camping area in the summer. Um, but once we kind of separate ourselves from everybody else, and we got back in there a ways. Like you said, man, we were finding them left and right back in there. Um, they're, they're a tough animal to find during the day. I think a lot of them will bed down, get into some shadows and find a nice, cool, breezy spot and hang out and, and pretty tough to find in the willows when they're laying down. But every morning, every evening, we were finding them. And then the last day we were there, we definitely got off the beaten path, and that's when we really got into them. I think in that day alone, we found 17 of the 23, and we just kind of got away from the crowd and 
separate ourselves from everybody else and got up there in loose country. It was, it was pretty awesome once it started to happen. Yeah, it was cool to see. It was cool to see the amount of land that, that you have access to. Um, one by trail, by two track, you know, we've, we came across a lot of people on UTVs, but also just getting out on foot. I mean, you can, you can see probably five times as much country once you just start getting off the path, 100, 200, 300 yards, and you can really see spots that people might just pass up if they're driving by on a four-wheeler. Um, so, Tony, what I know you brought, you brought some camera equipment out for that scouting trip, did some video, um, unfortunately, with permits and such. Um, it couldn't be used for commercial use, but as far as private use, I mean, it, it's some cool stuff that I know – um, as we see clips here and there of it, Sean's excited. I'm excited. It, it seems like it's going to turn out to be a cool video that you're creating. What can you go through a little bit about, uh, the video creation? I know we did interviews and stuff out there, but walk us through briefly. We'll dive into it in a further episode, but walk us through briefly. What goes through your mind in outlining a video, getting it set up and creating a storyline for it? That's a great question, Dan. So um, honestly, in this particular situation, uh, as a video creator, you know, I've done a lot of outdoor shots, outdoor TV shows, outdoor um, type teaching segments and things of that nature. However, you know, moose is, uh, especially in, in Colorado, is a very unique situation. And so I really try to hold up some framework that I can move around, for instance, like, I didn't know what our end result was going to be. I mean, especially after the first day, we didn't really see anything. And we traveled a lot of miles. I mean, a lot of miles. I mean, we were, we were on ATVs for hours, um, things of that nature. And so in the midst of that, I kind of initially go, okay, what I'm learning in this situation today is that I need to pick up B-roll shots of, um, of what we're doing, kind of seeing how much really time we're spending glassing, how much time we spend walking to high points, crawling up uh, rock slides, trying to get to some better vantage points. Um, a lot of time that we spend, you know, thinking and looking at maps. A lot of time that we uh, are on the ATV and, you know, seeing trees pass by, really cool stuff. I think one time we ended up, you know, cutting through a creek and making some big splash as well as whenever Dan got to drive and he about wrecked the uh, ATV and caused a bunch of damage. But, you know, those are all parts of the story that make it kind of fun, right? And so I knew coming into the video that I wasn't going to be able to sell it or commercialize it necessarily, but it would be honestly just a fun project to do for Sean. And uh, and Sean, I do apologize. It's literally, you know, 2020, and I'm just kind of getting my um, getting close to the end of this thing for it. But however, um, it's a fun passion project. You know, it's a lot of fun to tell the story however I want to. I can add personal kind of types of music that I feel fit Sean and, and the issue, uh, sorry. And uh, what we're doing um, while we're there, which is kind of fun because you, you know, a lot of times you have to buy licensing for commercial music and it doesn't really fit what you want. Doesn't really fit the personality the way that it, it could be. Uh, so, you know, for a personal project, it's a lot of fun being able to um, try to captivate really Sean and try to really make that memory as sweet as it can for him. And I know that ultimately I'm going to enjoy it. So I, like I said, I wasn't able to really know what the end result was. So 
I gathered information, gathered B-roll. You know, I asked John a lot of times, hey, what are we doing? What are we doing right now? And I do, you know, kind of your typical medium tight close-up shots um, so that we can understand kind of what he's teaching us as we go through the patterns of what he's trying to do, as well as, you know, new things like learning that mountain lion poop is on typically on roadways on the highest point, And it's actually literally dual pointed poop. Like who knew that, you know, so there's also, there's all sorts of fun things that come in the midst of that, that all make up the story. But it wasn't until, you know, we got to the very end of, of day two and a half that, you know, I can finally go, okay, we have some success. Uh, so now I'm going to do interviews and I'm going to talk to Sean and, and kind of recap uh, as well as do an intro piece, so to speak, as Sean tells us why we're here, who he is, why he's doing this and who's he doing it for. And uh, so we do interviews and then um, basically I just kind of pull all those things together to make a story um, about our adventure and our journey that's just ours, which is awesome because I don't have to worry about some guy that is paying me to do it. Um, and I can really be as creative as I want to be, which I think honestly, like in this particular case, it's really refreshing, especially in this time of my life. It's really refreshing to do something like this. So that's kind of the framework. Um, again, it was catching lots of capturing lots of B-roll, asking lots of questions while we're on the ground, capturing uh, video and audio. And then of course, acts doing um, interviews on the back end to kind of help uh, book in, so to speak, the story. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's interesting seeing a project like that come together in, um, from someone who's not in that world, but has, has taken in a lot of content as far as uh, hunting, fishing, outdoor media goes. It, it's crazy to see it all piece together um, as the process goes along, um, and it gives you an appreciation for people like you who do it. Because if it was up to me, it would not look nearly as good as some of the stuff you produce. Well, thank and, you for that, Dan. Thank you. And you can make anybody look good. I mean, Sean, Sean is about the most outgoing person I've ever met. And as soon as that camera came out, he clammed up like, man, I don't even want to say what he clammed up like. Oh, I'm so, a interviewer, interviewee. Well, I will say this when you are not looking and you're actually doing what you do, it's, you can't, you can't replicate that. And I think that's where like, uh, in future stuff for you, Sean, like if that's something, you know, you want to do next time, like just being a fly on the wall and me shooting while you talk to Dan and, and just kind of being back from you as a subject. And this is kind of more of another point for the creatives that are listening in on this podcast. Um, you know, I, I picked up on that really quickly about Sean, but however, during the week, like he was doing things that were just badass. It was just cool. It was just Sean, which is why, you know, uh, a lot of people like Sean because Sean's just Sean and uh, he's a real confident guy, but he's not arrogant. Uh, he does ballsy alpha dog moves and it's fun to watch. <laughs> and uh, you know, as well as he's, he's a, he is a, uh, like he said earlier about his dad and his family, he's a second or third generation Colorado elk, big game hunter. Like, and, you know, he's going to pass it on. He talked a lot about his daughter um, as well as uh, in, in this when we did some interviews as well. And, you know, it's 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 a beautiful thing to see uh, when somebody's just in their element. And for a creative, that's for me, I, I love that part of a documentary style of creative. That part's a lot of fun to watch is, is watch the beauty of someone's heart come out as they do what they do. 
Speak to that a little bit, Sean, because you you are one of those guys that seems to um, just be able to get it done. When when we're out in the woods, when we're out hunting, um, fishing, exploring, you know, you know your stuff. You really do. And um, I was blessed that you took me on my first few elk hunts and showed me what that was about. But um, what going into that hunt, I mean, with your knowledge with with the background that you've had up in the mountains at this point now for most of your life what were you thinking going into the moose hunt as far as success goes as far as what to expect and how you were going to go about making it happen i knew we were going to shoot a moose i just didn't know how long it was going to take so it was uh like i said very target rich environment so i i couldn't have hit a better unit or drawn a better tactic, but I also knew I wanted to be a little picky and spend a little bit of time looking around and actually get a hunt of moose. You'll find out later that didn't work out, but um, that, that was my goal was to really just go get lost in the moose woods for a while and, and enjoy it. Um, in, in hunting the mountains, I like to find myself a good, nice high vantage point. I, uh, my dad tricked me for a few years and he would always send me into the creek bottom and say, hey, you go flush them out. I'll wait here and see what comes out the other side. And after about six or eight years of doing that, I learned that you don't see many elk when you're the guy in the bottom of the creek and in the thick of it. Uh, so I've kind of changed the way that I hunted and I like to find a good high point or vantage point or sit on the bed edge of a big clearing and somewhere where you got those transition zones and some of those borders and really just spend your time just watching in in uh places with uh, a lot of animals passing through or moving around in there so i that's kind of the way i've started hunting just in the mountains is first thing that i try to do is get online and using google earth or onyx some of the other apps that are out there to just find those good vantage points and find a nice bald knob to sit on and be able to look around and, and get a good bird's eye view of what you're looking at in there. Um, funny, but with, with moose and knowing their habitat, I was actually able to find a couple of them on Google Earth. Uh, granted, the pictures were a couple years old, but when you're looking in an area and you can clearly see a moose on, on the satellite photos we're walking around in a creek bottom you already kind of have a good place to start when you get your chance so that that isn't where we ended up hunting or anything but that's how hard i'll scour a satellite photo to see what's happening in there um but when we were scouting you guys uh walked with me i know it didn't seem like a good idea at the time but we walked up an old avalanche chute. And we got a couple hundred yards above the road and got to a good vantage point, looked down on some uh, willow meadows and stuff. And uh, I think that's where we saw the uh, cow with the neck collar and had a little calf running around with her. So it wasn't obviously the moose we were after, but we knew we were in their environment and kind of had at least a place to look for them later on. Um, but that's kind of my idea of 
my best strategy is to just kind of find a good high point and vantage point on Google Earth. And then when I start doing my scouting trip or even in the day of hunting, to try to get up to that high ground or a good vantage point where I'll have a good view and be able to look around and, and just spot them from a distance, then figure out what the wind's doing and time of day and, and think about your thermals and just figure out how you want to make an approach on them. So that's kind of generally the way that I like to hunt an area in this country here. Well, it definitely seemed to work out for both scouting and hunting. Um, I know the hunt was cut shorter than what we were expecting, um, but for good reason. Uh, Tony, before we move on to the hunt, what what was it? Um, let's go this route. What What is the memory that you know you'll hold on to um, for the longest as far as that moose scouting trip went? Well, I think that's pretty easy, buddy. Um, I think when we, we were watching, I think we ended up, I must have, I think it was the last day and we were way deep in the woods, like you said, like Sean was saying. And we ended up like, we pulled off the road really quick and we saw kind of a clearing. We started walking in and like right then there we saw um, a nice big cow and then two calves uh, in this field. And they weren't but like 20 yards away, maybe. And so we're piling in there. We're trying to sneak in and try to get close and just trying to take a look at them. Cause it's, you know, that's pretty close for a moose, a wild moose, not something that's like in, you know, Jackson hole, Wyoming or something like that. Like this is out here. So we, we, we get kind of, kind of snuggled up in there and get the camera set so I can film you, film you guys as you're kind of interacting and, and uh, looking at the moose and stuff. And um, kind of all of a sudden, we see the two, sorry, we see the, we see the three moose uh, kind of turn their head behind them. And I didn't quite catch on to what was going on immediately. Uh, I think Sean did. Um, and lo and behold, there are two big bull moose about 200 yards away, just, just uh, on the edge of the other side of the tree line. They're in full velvet. One's not that great but the other one is is like you could tell he's he could be a bruiser he could be the one that sean's looking for you know and that's what we were looking for the whole week was like some you know some top contenders uh, on for the hit list and so uh watching your guys's faces i have this photo actually of, of the three the three of us that kind of turned around turned a selfie and you guys are like just grinning ear to ear and um it's a beautiful setting it's out uh, in the beautiful part of the, the area in the unit that we were at mountains in the background and these big, big giant bull moose, uh, just, just outside of us. And so I will never forget that. I will never forget that. That will, that type of memory is what will draw me back to Colorado. That's what will, will fuel me teaching my son, um, about moose hunting and about elk hunting and about being out in Colorado specifically is moments like that that's that's the stuff you just you can't pay for uh you can never replace and you'll never forget yeah i man i can't i can't agree with you more on that when we were in that meadow with those three cows and then those two bull moose came out i remember the feeling of them walking away and then it was back to just the three of us out in the meadow without any moose and i mean that was after a long time of watching these animals and it was this like overwhelming fulfillment of like, that was one of the coolest moments of my life. 
but then also like the emptiness of like oh it's over it's over mm. we've been yeah. here hanging out with with these animals wild animals that just didn't seem to care that we were there at all um yeah that's another that's definitely one of the top moments from this whole experience that i've taken away uh sean now moving into the actual hunt itself i know tony unfortunately you weren't able to be out there but you had great reason for that um a new addition to the khalil clan and uh so it ended up being me sean and then a good chunk of sean's family actually and then i had a friend come out from wisconsin um to join in on the hunt so sean why don't you kind of walk us through i know you made it up there before i did um you were scouting a few days before and camping out for a little while and so why don't you go through uh the first few days that you made it to moose camp and what that looked like the first morning so my older brother and i went up there and we got up there late friday night and the season didn't open until i think it was monday or tuesday morning i think it was monday and uh so my brother and i got up there late and i kind of had a campground picked up but i knew that we were be slim chance of getting it and when we woke up the next morning well we ended up getting the campsite that we wanted and i knew then we were had a potential of waking up and just looking out the camper and seeing moose and it wasn't where i wanted to hunt but i know from there i was going to have to drive by four or five good meadows to the place that i wanted to hunt and those meadows consistently held moose so I, I just figured if I'm leaving the camper, I don't want to drive by in the dark and I don't want to not check those meadows every morning. So that's kind of why we chose the campground that we had. And the first morning that he and I woke up, we, uh, I told him I didn't want to get out before sunup. I want to be able to see what's in those meadows as we drive out of there. And so neither one of us are great morning people. Hunting changes that, but we also just said, um, let me look outside. And when I opened the blinds on the camper, there was a trophy bull standing 80 yards outside of the camper. And my brother, who was still in bed, said, oh, what do you, what do you see? And he's making fun of me. And I said, no, there's a shooter right here. I said, this is one that I definitely want to get eyes on. And he didn't believe me at all until I started flipping drawers inside the camper trying to find my binoculars. <laughs> and then he realized that there had to be some truth to what I was saying. He finally got up and there was definitely a very nice bull chasing a hot cow right out the back of our camper. We, we had got to watch him for a good 15, 20 minutes. And after that, we uh, started getting ready and getting the ATV ready. And we were gonna drive around and do some scouting. And we uh, didn't make it a couple miles up the road and ha all had uh, two flat tires on the ATV. And come to find out they had dry rotted and we needed to replace all four of them. And it was not something that we could do up there. Uh, there's not much for uh, ATV stores in that neck of the woods 
So it was going to be three days before we could get tires and my brother was going to have to leave the hunt and go down to Denver to pick them up. So after that, we ended up with that kind of ate up our whole day of scouting, just trying to get that taken care of, knowing that that could be a vital part of our success, getting well out of the way of everybody else and getting off the beaten trail. So after that, we were stuck with scouting from the truck. And we weren't able to go to the uh, part of the unit that I really wanted to hunt because of the access. So then, like I said, we were just kind of stuck to the main roads and and chasing them just or scouting them from there and little hikes here and there to get to those vantage points, see what we could see from there. And uh, then uh, as the weekend went on, more family and friends started showing up to help out and I think we'd seen a few moose nothing to write home about at that point the uh only one we knew we wanted to shoot was the one we saw the first morning but he disappeared so we kind of didn't know where to start at that point um I I always told myself that I've never been much of a trophy hunter but when it came down to the moose I knew I had to be a little picky knowing I'll never get a chance to do this again and I'd waited so long that I just was going to make sure that I was going to be happy with the one I got. So I was prepared to stay for the whole two weeks. But uh, when it came down to it, we uh, opening morning came and everybody was there and ready. And we were drinking coffee and standing outside the camper. And it was about 15 minutes before sunup and I told everybody uh we're not going yet and everybody's like no we we got to hurry up we got to get there I said no man I can't drive past these meadows without being able to look into them and so we stood there and drank our coffee for another 10 minutes probably and it was only five minutes before shooting light I would say when we left the campground and uh we didn't make it 600 yards up the road and I got to the first spot I wanted to pull off and look around and a very big meadow about 600 yards across 300 yards wide and we kind of stopped there and we looked around real quick and and a moose is not something that'll hide from you in a wide open meadow like that so I gave it a quick two minute glance and said well uh, there's nothing here we can move on and we were getting back in the truck when my wife said, uh, well, girlfriend at the time, wife now, but uh, she said, hey, what's that white spot there in front of you? And I told her, if it's a white spot, it's not a moose. And then I like, I kind of said, oh, that was kind of dumb of me to say I should at least check it out. And so when I finally pulled up the binoculars, I looked at it just in time for it to turn its head and see all the points move against the shadow of the other antler. And I went from being a smart ass and telling her that it wasn't a moose to ripping my rifle out of the car and getting it loaded as quick as I can. And she said, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, well, we might have to go look at this one. So we uh, got out of the truck and loaded up the rifle and hiked up the road a little bit. And, and there happened to be another uh, hunter on the other end of the meadow. 
So we walked up. Luckily, we'd met them a couple days before, and we knew that they had a cow tag. So we walked out there, and we had a quick conversation with them and said, hey, you know, what are you guys up to? You guys see anything? And they said, no, we haven't seen anything yet. And so we talked to them a little bit, and I said, hey, I know you guys have cow tag, and this is your meadow, and I'll leave if you guys want me to. But I said, there's a bull out here I'd like to probably get a better look at. And they said, well, we haven't seen any cow. We don't have any reason to stick around. You just help yourself. And they said, we had another place we wanted to hunt this morning anyway, so we'll move over there. So we kind of snuck in and, and got used the trees to get a little closer and close the distance. And we were probably 170 yards away, sneaking through the trees. And I stepped over a dead tree and there was a broken branch that caught my pant leg. And by then it was too late and my weight was already going forward. So as soon as that grabbed me, it just broke that branch off of that tree. And it had to sound like a gunshot on that still morning as there wasn't a peep around until that branch broke. And I knew <laughs> as soon as that happened, I had to hustle and I had to get up to the edge of the trees. So as soon as that happened, I just got to the edge of the tree as quick as I could. And lo and behold, when I got to the edge of the trees and looked out where I, that bull was, there was a cow standing there in the middle of the meadow. And that's when I realized that I just ruined that other couple's hunt because they were right there and all they needed was for her to stand up, but nobody had any idea they were in there. So she stood up and stared at us for about 30 seconds to a minute. And then when I looked to her left about 30 yards, the bull was standing there looking at me. And I told myself time and time again, I wouldn't shoot one unless I had, I wouldn't shoot one opening day unless I had three or four brow tines on, on the front end of it. So that's usually a good sign you're looking at a good moose. And Right when I put the binoculars on him, he had three brow tines on one side and four on the other. And that's when I knew that I was probably breaking my own rule and getting ready to shoot one on opening day. But uh, so that cow ran off and I, I'm sure she was in estrus and was a hot cow. So she ran away and that bull stood there and looked at me for another minute or so. And he turned and just started walking sideways. And that's the other thing I needed to see was what he looked like from the side. He ended up having really nice paddles and being a bull that I would shoot opening day. And so by then I had the rifle already on the shooting sticks and was just looking down the scope and, and kind of really going back and forth and having that personal battle of, if this is the moose that I waited 18 years to harvest. And the wife was with me at the time and she said, babe, is that him? And I don't think she even finished her sentence and I'd already pulled the trigger. <laughs> and I could just hear the shot ring out through the canyon. I mean, it echoed for 15 seconds, the way that the mountains were and just the, we were, we were kind of looking right up the canyon. And so it just sounded like rolling thunder going through there. I think I made every one of us jump because at that point we, we had all pulled up on our four wheelers and then the other vehicles. And we had the conversation with you guys that you were going to go after this moose and take a closer look. 
Um, I actually gave my camera to your wife or girlfriend at the time. And I know you can't give her a hard time for, for this because you live with her, but I, I always give her a hard time when we talk about it. Um, I got a 4k camera for this hunt specifically, and we'd been recording a bunch of random stuff and, uh, I gave it to her and she was right in his back pocket as they were going up and taking a look at this moose, going to get some cool video, evaluate if it's one he wanted to shoot. And, um, and so, yeah, she was right there with him the whole time. But when you pulled that trigger, I remember the whole conversation that I had with two of your brothers, with my buddy, I said, Sean's not going to shoot one on opening day. He's told me that a hundred times. <laughs> and, uh, we saw that cow stand up and then we, that moose turn. And as soon as he turned facing away from us, I saw the width on it. And we all looked at each other and said, that's, that's a big moose. <laughs> and at that moment we heard the, the bang from your rifle. And I think it startled every one of us um, as well as we couldn't believe that we were out there ready to stay for two weeks. And, we heard a trigger pull a few minutes into opening day. Yeah, I don't think it had been 15 minutes after sunup, and and we were already going to be getting our hands bloody. But so, yeah, when I pulled, when I pulled that first trigger, that a moose is such a big animal. It it's not like a deer or an elk that'll jump and kick or hump up and and you can tell you hit it. It just he went from like a nice walk to a dead run. And I had no idea if I'd hit him or if it was the crack of the rifle that scared him. But I, I, had, I was 99% sure I heard the boy hit him. And once I knew that, I knew we were into it and I was going to have to finish him. So I kind of, I reloaded and got ready again, but I wanted to watch him for a little bit and just see if he got wobbly and started to fall over or stop and catch his breath or anything. And there was nothing like that. He just was thundering into the trees. And I remember it was like a runaway train, just watching it disappear. And I, when he was about 30 yards from the trees, I said, man, I got to hit him again or we're going to chase him all day long. And so I fired another shot while he was quartering away pretty decent, but moving, uh, he, the first shot was probably 150 yards. I think the second shot was about 280. And when I hit him that time, he just dropped. It was, that's something I'll never forget. Just pretty uh, surreal moment, you know. I, as soon as he went down, the wife said, oh, you caught him. And I turned around with tears in my eyes. And I said, yeah, but it wasn't supposed to happen like that. Because I really just wanted to get lost in the moose woods. and chase him for two weeks and here it was not even sun up on opening day and I'd already punched my tag but it, it was a very awesome moment and even though uh the hunt didn't last as long as it, it could have the uh scouting trips that I made and just the time in the woods times I spent reading and learning about them and even as far as when they were introduced to moose behavior, uh, moose habitat, and and all of the things that I learned along the way, it was well worth every minute of it. Yeah, there was a lot that a lot that I took away from that scouting trip, from the hunt, 
um, between you and you and Sarah teaching me how to spot and stock trout fish, um, <laughs> actually getting that after the moose. It was a ton of fun. Um, but looking back, uh, fondest memories for you, Sean. I know we we went over a little bit of the scouting trip and then the hunt itself. Looking back, what what is the one moment that you will never forget? Um, probably coming through the trees and seeing it for the first time and just knowing that that was it. And then um, the there was six of us there when we broke that animal down and just the, the good times and the laughing and the coming together and eating uh, tenderloins that night and just camp stories and hearing the stories from everybody else and their own version of the same story. And it, it was pretty awesome. I've never been in a situation where that many people show up to help you. And you're the only one with a license and you're the only one carrying a gun. And just how much fun everybody had and came together just to help me out. It, it really meant a lot. And I know there were some people on that trip that are never even going to apply for a moose hunt, but they, I got to share the moment with them, you know? So just that's, that's it. The friends I made and, and the good quality time spent in the field with people I love. Well, Sean, I think that's a testament to the kind of guy that you are. The fact that you've got six people who are willing to sacrifice their time, take off of work to come out and just give you a hand. Um, I know you've been there for, for me, you've taught me a lot in the past and um, introduced me to a lot of really cool things out in Colorado. So I appreciate that. Um, but Moving forward, I want to do, I want to start something actually uh, with every guest that I have on this show. And that is, um, think, try to think of the one thing that you know now uh, that could have helped you and make, and could have helped to make you a better hunter, fisher, outdoorsman early on. If you could go back and tell your young self one thing, what would that be? I kind of touched on it once already with, I, I probably have a couple of them. Um, both things that I've tried to bring up and already tell people in this, but to reiterate, uh, I don't like to move in the dark. When, when you're in that kind of country, you don't have to be, but a couple hundred yards off the road and you're in elk country or moose country or whatever you're pursuing, you stand a chance of seeing them anywhere in your travels to get where you want to go. So I don't like to move in the dark because all those animals have such great sense of smell and hearing that they know you're there long before you do. And if it's too dark for you to see them, you won't even know that you already screwed up your hunt. And when it comes to an elk, they're going to run a mile, maybe two. And you're going to be walking around in the woods all day, looking at fresh tracks saying, oh yeah, they're here. Well, they're not anymore. They had been, and they've already winded you and got the hell out of there because they know what's coming. And so that's the big one for me. I don't like in, I understand if you're a tree hunter and you're hunting a creek bottom somewhere chasing whitetails, that it pays to be in your stand before sunup. But that big buck could be bedded right underneath your stand when you walk in there. And if it's dark, you won't even know that you shoot him out of there. 
So I, I really just like to hunt once I can see what's going on and I actually have a chance of doing something about it. Now, I know here in the Western big hills and everything that we have here, we're, we're using ATVs, things like that. We ride the ATVs in in the dark, but if we're almost to where we want to go, we'll stop and wait 30 minutes if that's what it takes for the sun to come up. And, you know, we'll park where we want, but then we just hang out at the ATVs until it gets light enough to actually see what's in front of you. So that's one big thing that it paid off huge for that moose hunt. Had, had I uh, been 10 years younger, I would have driven right past that meadow in the dark to go to the meadow that I wanted to hunt. And I never would have seen the bull. And who knows what I would have, you know, how it would have turned out. But I'm very happy with the bull I ended up getting. And that only happened because we waited and I didn't leave earlier than I should have. Um, the other thing I'm going to say is definitely the, you know, the e-scouting. And a lot of where I hunt is a good four to six hour drive away from where I live. So it's not something you can just go scout every evening or go check and see if your buck's still there. It, it takes, you have to dedicate a whole weekend to be able to go out there and do it. But I make up for a lot of lost time by scouring maps and Google earth. And um, I even use a lot of Facebook and just try to meet people that have had the tag or been in that unit before. and. Some people guide you the wrong way. Some people are more than happy to help you out. And you got to just kind of weed through the BS and, and find the people that are really there to help you out and kind of use the information they're going to give you and see how you can use that to your advantage. And also while you're doing that, like I said, finding those vantage points because the hunting the, the Western Slope or the Western US, there's a whole lot of big country. And you can't see it if you're in that dark timber. I know that's where the elk are going to be. But if I'm elk hunting, I'm going to try to set up on the south facing hill and I'm going to try to look into that dark timber and find them in there. Because if you try to walk in on them, by the time you see them, you're going to, they're going to be on their way out and you're only going to see them leave and see all their tails. So if you can spot them and know where they're bedded from the other side of the mountain, then you stand a chance of getting the wind right and working in on them and finding a couple good landmarks so you know where you're at when you get there but actually working your way in and getting into them before they actually bust out of there and ruin your hunt before you even know about it yeah i think that's both those are both really good points i know you taught me a lot on both of those uh especially the e-scouting we we did a ton of that leading up to this hunt Onyx played a huge part in that, and they are not a sponsor of this podcast, but maybe one day. Um, but they definitely, they definitely helped us out. They even hooked me up with a sweet hat back then that I got to wear around. Um, but Tony, I'm going to kick that same question over to you. What, uh, what is something or a few things that if you could go back and tell your younger self, um, what, what are those things that would make you a better hunter back then? So I think the number one thing would be uh, you need to be around people that are successful, but that are patient. And so like, for instance, with this situation, as I'm listening to detail of the actual hunt, 
you know, I hear a lot of really important key things that he, he brought to the table. One, he had done all the scouting and he really knew, dialed in, you know, the best opportunities that he had. He spent a lot of time doing it. Um, I think that he uh, also, he was patient when it came to actually looking at the animal. And remember like the day before he shot, when he was on uh, the day before the, the opening day, you know, he looked at that bull for quite a while and he made sure that's, you know, he wanted to see if that was a shooter possibly, you know, he really studied, um, you know, what the rack was looking like, what the, what he looked from the side, what he looked from the front. And that takes a lot of patience. You know, when I was a kid, I was um, growing up in Mississippi, you know, uh, we didn't have a lot of world-class bucks where I live, but we did have some pretty decent bucks in the 150s, 160s and things of that nature. But I'd be so excited that I was impatient. And rather than just pulling off on a 130, I could have waited and really studied that deer and be like, you know what, let me give him another year. And then lo and behold, another big buck that's bigger than that comes out of the back end, right? Um, I think also as well as you hear about Sean's story about a conservative mindset, you know, he didn't treat that public land like it was his own. He knew he was sharing that with someone. I think that's really important for, uh, to think about is like, when you go to a public place to hunt like that area, you need to be respectful of other people and wait your turn or in circumstances like this, have a conversation. If you can have one, rather than taking someone's opportunity from them, you can work together uh, as best you can with the situation and still um, acquire what you're hunting after. So that conservative mindset also played a role when he knew he couldn't go as far as he wanted to. He dialed it back in. He's, he's like, I know where, cause I remember when we went to those trails and I remember him saying at the end of the scouting where he wanted to go, that was a long way away from where he ended up camping on this hunt. And, um, and so rather than, than pushing his limits way out there and walking all the way through and not being able to have, uh, someone to be able to help him retrieve the animal, cause it was just too far away. Didn't have, he didn't have the assets that he needed to get that animal back. You know, there's a huge risk if he killed the, that, that bull moose that he couldn't get it back in time before something, uh, happened to that animal. Predators come involved, you know, you name it. Um, it could be a dangerous situation on top of that because of the travel in the, um, as well as he said, the, the whole fact, the point that he doesn't like to travel when he can't see because he's pushing animals out. So I would definitely say being patient and being around people that you can learn from that are successful. I think that's a, that was, that would be something I would definitely tell myself about my younger self, calm down, find people that are good and be patient figure this stuff out before you just start pulling triggers at, at things walking around. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you guys are both people that, that I've learned a lot from that. I've seen you guys succeed, not only um, in times when the triggers pulled and there's meat on the ground or, you know, when you set a hook and you pull a fish in, but you guys find success a lot in the journey of it, in the adventure of it um, in the stories and in the fellowship uh, with your friends, with your family out in the woods. And so I appreciate that about both you guys. Um, but I know we're running pretty late on time. I'm going to kick it back to either of you. If you guys have anything, uh, closing, I'm going to call this segment, the, uh, emptying the chamber. And if you guys have anything, anything else that you want to add that maybe we hadn't covered that you wish we would have, um, 
feel free. Um, the the scouting trips and everything were awesome, man. I, I was on three of them, and one with you guys, and two of them with my daughter. And that, that's the best time to get your kids involved. So make sure you're taking them out there and enjoying that moment with them, too, because she, she wasn't able to miss the school, be there for the actual hunt, but she has memories that she will remember forever, just from us bouncing down a dirt road and, and trying to find one. Unfortunately for us, uh, really rainy weekends and we were pretty socked in, so I don't, I don't think we saw any moose, handful of elk, but we still had great time, and, and that's another scouting trip that I'll always remember, so scouting trips especially good time to get your kids and your family involved and and like i said even this trip with my wife uh, she was pretty mad at me when we started this whole when i had to ruin her camping plans but at the end of the weekend she just was looking forward to our next scouting trip so that's definitely something that i think a lot of people kind of get in a mindset that they need to get out there and get the job done but if it weren't for my dad taking me along on these trips, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. So it's pretty important to make sure you're bringing people and and getting other people involved in it. You know, we need the recruitment to just make sure that our support survives and that we have this to pass down to future generations. Yeah, I think that's a great lesson, uh, especially with Tony. You've got your second on the way. I've got two young ones right now, and um, I know this is something that we're going to want to get them involved in and pass down to them in, in years to come. Um, and so it's cool to see you having success with that, raising your, raising your daughter in that way, seeing her out at elk camp, um, some years killing the biggest elk out of everybody. And uh, yeah, she's the Lashinsky, so she'll get it done one way or another. But um, yeah, I think that's something that we can all take away from it. Yeah, she's going to get bear tag this year. So that's my big priority is help her find a good boar this year. That'll be awesome. Well, guys, I, uh, I definitely appreciate you coming on the show. And um, I look forward to uh, the next podcast, Sean, that you and I are going to be doing, um, forecasting the 2020 mountain goat hunt. And then, Tony, I know we'll be on several um, coming up, talking about a lot of our Missouri hunts, as well as diving deeper into videography and what that looks like, um, giving people more in-depth look, pointers, uh, gear, what they need to have successful um, trips that are documented in adventures. So um, thank you again. I appreciate you guys coming on, and uh, we'll stay connected. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. Thanks, Thank Matt. you, Sean. Yep. Good to see you guys again. Hi, brother. See ya. Well, that's going to wrap up the show for today. And I had a ton of fun chatting with Tony and Sean about our moose chasing adventures out in Colorado. And I hope that that is something that I can be a part of again in the future. And maybe next time I will be behind the rifle or the bow or whatever method of take that ends up being. And actually next year is going to be my first year that I'm eligible to draw that tag. Obviously, the odds are very slim on that, but we can always hope and keep our fingers crossed. So if you haven't already, please leave a review and a rating. 
And that helps me out a lot. That gives me great feedback about the show. And until next time, always choose adventure. God bless and have a great week.